0: On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the area between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. It was Neil White's first day as a federal inmate at Carville. On the grounds of an old plantation in the bend of the Mississippi River downstream from Baton Rouge, Carville was our national leprosarium, home to Carville's residents, persons who long ago were incarcerated for the crime of being infected with mycobacterium lepra, which today we call Hansen's disease, but for thousands of years was just called leprosy. In the 1990s, half of Carville's buildings were repurposed by the federal prison system to house inmates. Neil White, one of the prisoners, remembers his very first encounter with one of the Carville residents, an elderly woman who spent her days traversing the hallways and the gardens in an antique hand-cranked wheelchair. Slowly, Neil White writes, she cranked her way down the corridor. Passing me, she chanted, there's no place like home. Her voice was worn out, but sweet. There was something remarkable about this woman, he said, the way she held herself, her her eyes. She seemed to possess this unwavering confidence, or maybe it was strength. And for a moment, Neil says, I had forgotten that she might be contagious. She was so vibrant. In spite of the separation, the strict rules keeping inmates away from residents at Carville, the white, uh, white and the woman became friends. And one morning when he was working in the commissary and serving her her coffee, she shared her story over the cup. I was born in Abeda Springs Louisiana she whispered but this is my home so White asked her how did you wind up here 1926 I was in grade school she was 12 years old a doctor came to our one room schoolhouse to administer shots he saw some raised oval spots on my leg. My skin is brown, but the spots were white. He pricked the spots with a needle, and I couldn't feel anything. Next week, white man drives up, and I seen the carol boy pointing outside. Ooh, Ella, he say, bounty hunter, fixin' to carry you away. I look out and seen the man at the edge of the field leaning on his truck, wearing the dark glasses arms crossed all tight a hand-painted sign large enough to be seen from all the neighboring farms was sticking out from the back of the pickup ella says at the time i couldn't read the word on the sign but it said quarantine the school teacher put a hand on my shoulder pulled me up from my desk and led me outside The teacher walked me across the schoolyard toward the truck while all my classmates watched from the windows. The bounty hunter uncrossed his arms and pushed back his coat to reveal a gun, an exposed pistol. The teacher stopped, took her hand off my shoulder, and the man pointed to the back of the truck and I climbed in. The man with the gun drove the truck. To my to my parents farm and stopped in front of the house It was a tenant house a shack with two rooms and a stove on the front porch the man walked to the back of the truck grabbed a hammer and tacks, and picked up the giant quarantine sign stay put he told her ella's father was as thick as an oak tree and tall enough to duck to get through his own front door he farmed 20 acres of land her brothers helped with the crops and Ella was looking forward to next year also helping out in the field hearing this hammer banging her father comes in from the fields my daddy come over to the truck Ella said and picked me up he carried me to the front porch and told me to go inside when the bounty hunter finished nailing, he stared at Ella's father, and who was standing tall and straight on the porch. Ella's father spoke first. She, my girl, I'm going to take her. The man pushed his coat back like he had at the school, showed that pistol again, but Ella's father looked at the gun and repeated, I'm taking her. He must have known that this man wasn't even a real law enforcement officer. He's just uh, somebody, a hired hand, paid $10 a head for every delivery to the leper home. The bounty hunter held up his hand, three fingers outstretched, three days, he said. If she ain't there in three days, I'll come for her. Ella's father didn't move. He knew the man would come back. $10 was a lot of money. The bounty hunter climbed in the empty pickup and drove away. We feasted that night, Ella said. Daddy, killed a chicken. We had greens, biscuits, fatback, and pumpkin pie. We didn't eat like that except for Christmas, she said. That night, Ella's father handed her a burlap sack and in it she placed two picture books, a copy of the Saturday Evening Post, her boots, Three or four everyday outfits and a yellow Sunday dress that had been, belonged to a cousin but now belonged to Ella. The next morning, while everybody was still asleep, Ella and her daddy left in the dark. A neighbor's mule pulled their wagon. The trip from Abida Springs to Carville would take them two days. On the slow ride, Ella got to sit in the very front of the wagon next to her daddy, a place she had never been allowed to sit before. Along the way, she said, we stopped to have a picnic under a shade tree. We picked wild blueberries and we ate them on the shore of a pond. When we reached the river road near Carville, we parked on the levee and we walked down to the Mississippi River. And She said, I put my feet in the muddy water. And daddy suggested that I put on my yellow Sunday dress. And so she, I changed behind the shrubbery by the river's edge. Late in the afternoon, they reached the colony gate. A man who appeared to expect them went inside to alert one of the sisters. I ain't never seen a nun before, Ella said. Big white bird wings on her head scared me half to death. Ella held her sack and she looked at the nun and she looked back at her father and he nodded and pointed towards the sister. And Ella in her yellow dress walked over to the sister of Charity who put her arm around her and led her towards the buildings. They stopped at the door. Ella looked back at her daddy and waved. And from the front seat of the wagon, he nodded again. And then she turned and stepped into the building where she would spend the rest of her life. That was more than 70 years ago. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, ten lepers approached him, keeping their distance. They called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. In biblical times, leprosy could be the actual clinical leprosy that we call Hansen's disease, Or it could have been anything from like psoriasis to eczema to even a bad case of poison ivy. If the priest thought it looked potentially contagious or dangerous, then that was cause for you to be excluded from the community. They declared you unclean and you remained unclean and banished until you were healed and declared clean again by the priest. You were required by law to live outside the cities and villages, outside the gates. You couldn't visit your family, your spouse, your children. You could not access your property, your wealth, or your goods. By law, you had to wear torn clothes, keep your distance from others, and it was a lot more than six feet, and warn off strangers who might approach by yelling, unclean, unclean, To be a leper was to, in effect, be a non-person. Upon arriving at Carville, patients were assigned new names to protect their families. In the Bible, lepers are rarely, if ever, named. They become their diagnosis. They are simply a leper. Jews and Samaritans, Protestants and Catholics and atheists rich and poor, black and Hispanic and Asian and white, young and old, people who would not normally have associated with each other, who could not by law have lived in the same neighborhoods with one another, are now side by side in their isolation. And something really remarkable happens. Having been stripped of their former identities, and their former families. They become family to one another. They choose to build a community of mutual respect and cooperation and loving compassion to lift one another up, to abandon their old prejudices, to advocate for and with one another, to celebrate one another's gifts and beauty, looking past their disfigurement God is with them and the spirit of the Lord is at work bringing life out of a place of death and so ten lepers cried out to Jesus not ten individuals crying Lord have mercy on me but with one voice ten lepers cry out Jesus have mercy on us and Jesus sees them and when he sees them he says to them go and show yourself to the priests they are required to step into the reality of their healing even before the healing has actually occurred even without any evidence that healing would occur while they are Uh, Still disfigured and crippled with disease, they are called upon to do an act of faith, to go and show themselves to the priest without any sign of healing taking place. They set out in hopes of being declared clean. Living as if is one of the tools people are taught in recovery from addiction. You're told to go through each day acting as if you weren't an addict. What would you do if you were entirely well? Do that. In life sometimes we tell people fake it till you make it. Right? Live the thing you wish to become. And as they went on their way to see the priests they were made clean. It's a process. It's a journey that leads To wellness the word is pistis we translate it so often as faith but the word pistis is also interchangeable faith trust take your pick in the words of Kristen Lee Mitchell this isn't about belief this is not the idea that if you believe enough hard enough in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that he would make the cancer go away no Pistis is about trust, radical trust. Faith is the life that we choose to live into when life seems impossible. Faith is placing the weight of your trust on the goodness and the loving kindness that's at the center of all reality, regardless of our personal circumstances. Faith is what allows us to move even towards our own death. Trusting in the crazy, radical promise of new life in resurrection. Whatever your circumstances, she says, there's always an opening to new life, which you can access through pistis, trust. Sometimes it can mean acting without belief. Sometimes it means acting as if you trusted in God, even if you aren't sure whether or not God even really exists. Brennan Manning writes, To trust in the love of God in the face of the marvels, cruel circumstances, obscenities, and commonplaces of life is to whisper a doxology in the darkness. Mitchell adds, Sometimes the darkness is all we can see and a whisper is all we have to give. When we find ourselves in the midst of pain or sickness or danger or grief, Jesus doesn't ask us to whitewash it or deny it or to analyze who's responsible for it or to try to make it go away. The faith that Jesus calls us to only asks that we step into our own healing by continuing to move in the direction of life and love, especially when all hope seems lost. A woman named Ella lived her whole life that way. When she was young, she loved to run and dance and play and she stayed on the move, but because of the Hansen's disease, her legs would get badly damaged and Ella couldn't feel it. She didn't feel the pain When she turned 33, both of her legs were taken away just above the knee. For the next 50 years, she meandered the halls and the gardens of Carville in her hand-cranked antique wheelchair, devoting her life to welcoming new patients and visitors and even scary-looking prisoners And delivering drinks to the residents who couldn't make it on their own to the canteen, smiling at everyone. White says, Ella carried her leprosy like a divine blessing. She embraced the life that she believed God had chosen for her on earth. And as Ella says, Jesus is there waiting, and there ain't no leprosy in heaven, so it don't bother me none. Trust in the Lord will make you well before the healing even comes. God, Jesus, gave Ella a spirit of deep peace, a gentle wisdom, infectious joy, and boundless, unconditional love. He'll do the same for you. Amen.